Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie F. Downs. It's a really special week here at That Sounds Fun, and we have got a great show in store. We're coming up on the week-aversary of What Sounds Fun to You being out in the world. I can't tell y'all how much it's meant to see you post your kiddos and mini BFFs with the book. If you haven't grabbed a copy, it's available at your local bookstore or on Amazon, and it's the perfect one to pass along to your teacher friends and kids ministers and, of course, any kids in your life. And if you have read the book and want to leave a review wherever you purchase the book from, that helps a ton. So this week on the show, I'm passing the microphone over to my good friend, Pastor Mike Kelsey. Y'all know him. He's been on the show and he's hosted the show before. We handed him the mic in 2020 and he is a trusted voice in leading and teaching me about life and the gospel and racial justice and how it looks. And I've loved how much I have learned and grown from hearing conversations between Mike and his friends without me in the room or on a microphone. So I called Mike and was like, let me hire you again, please, to come take over our podcast for a week of shows. And he very kindly said yes. I cannot wait for you to hear these conversations with his guest. Just a reminder that you will only hear me in the intro and in the outro and telling you about our ad partners, these conversations Mike is hosting. I am not there. It is just Mike and his friends, and it is a incredible learning opportunity, and these really awesome conversations and incredible guests that Mike got together for us. So today, Mike talks with his friend, author Jason Reynolds, who I'm sure many of you know. I think you're really going to enjoy Jason's point of view, his creative process, and the friendship and honesty between these two men. So here is our host, Mike Kelsey, and author and friend, Jason Reynolds. All right, well, I'm excited uh, to be back on the That Sounds Fun podcast with Annie F. Downs. I don't know why she keeps letting me do this, but I'll take it. And today, uh, man, I got a good friend of mine, Jason Reynolds, on prolific author, but an even better friend. Uh, Jason, it's good to have you on, man. Hey, man, my guy. It's good to see you, brother. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Now, let me just start real quick before we get into the, the main stuff. I just want to help our audience just understand our relationship. And so <laughs> I just want to share just, just two snapshots that I think is going to give people a pretty accurate picture of our, of our friendship. One of them is recent. Uh, you took me to dinner mm. and you ordered something I had never heard of before. Um, you ordered salmon collar, mm-hmm. correct? Correct. Yeah. And that joint looked look juicy. That joint looked amazing. I don't remember what I ordered, but I was looking at your Not joint like, salmon collar. what in the world? And so the next time I went out and I tried to be fancy and order that joint, I didn't remember what it was called. So I ordered salmon shoulder. Exactly. Yeah. Even though salmons don't have shoulders. They don't have shoulders. Uh, <laughs> they, don't, they don't have shoulders. And so that's why I was like, you know what? I just need to stick to, I need to stick to the level that I'm on. You know what I'm saying? Hey, listen, man, we all, we all get there in our own time. You know what I mean? yeah. <laughs> well, the second little snapshot is, and I've told you this before, your current wardrobe is always what I'm going to be wearing two to three years from now. That's <laughs> That's been true ever since we've been in college, dog. It's been true for a long it's time. It's been true. And I don't know if you remember this, but you put me on my first pair of skinny jeans. I'll never forget it. Yeah. I was so proud of you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unique low joints, bro. Yeah. And you were slim dude. I don't know what you was thinking. What took you so long? I don't know what took me so long. But now they out. So I, I, I'm like, why I throw away all my normal <laughs> jeans? You know what I'm saying? 
Man, uh, so let's let's jump right into your career, dog. We've known each other a long time, but uh, God has been really gracious and kind, and you, man, have put in work. And uh, I try to buy every book you publish. In fact, they're all on a bookshelf in my living room at home. And uh, but then I, I saw this. Uh, I saw this in a New York Times article. It says since 2014, Jason Reynolds has published 13 books, which have sold more than six million copies. Now, you know me, I was never good at math in college. And I'm looking, I'm like, since 2014, it's, 20, it's 2021. Since 2014, you've published 13 books? Yeah, man. I don't even, I don't yeah, understand. Man. I don't even, how do you write that much? Uh, you know what though, man? I think for me, the wild part is thinking about that there's 6 million of them sold. I yeah, think, that, yeah. I, I mean, it's just, it's overwhelming to think about that. I mean, like, bro. It's a good chance that if you bump into a kid that they read something that I've read that I've written, which is a wild thing to think about. Yo, it's crazy wild. First of all, we both grew up in Prince George's County. Yeah. PG County, Maryland. Uh, I call it the kingdom of black people, yeah. uh, which is uh, a very unique place. It was the highest concentration of black wealth in the country, but it was also uh, yeah. full of a lot of the other real, but you know, kind of stereotypical challenges in black communities. So Prince George County is a very diverse county, rich with black history. And so, man, you can imagine my surprise dog now as a pastor of a multi-ethnic church um, at one of my members' houses. Uh, their family is Chinese. I'm in their little library area. This is years ago. Mm. And I just look up on the bookshelf, dog, and one of your books is mm. on the bookshelf yeah. she like her daughter got the joint in like the, her library or something like that and it was just wild so so some people may not be familiar with you man so i want to introduce them to some of your just some of your uh books so let me just survey a couple of your popular works i'm gonna run through a couple of titles just give us an overview uh yeah. of of the book and dog there's it's just so many. I don't even know. I don't even know which which ones to to pick. Just but pick a few. It's all good. Just all right, let's few. just pick a couple. So let's let's. You're, all right, you you wrote the track series. One of them mm -hmm. was Ghost. So just give us a quick overview. Ghost story about a young man who experiences a moment of trauma early in his life, and then figures out how to use that trauma when he joins a track team because he knows how to run because of that because of that traumatic moment, mm -hmm. and he finally joins a track team and he and he develops new friendships, new family members. And he doesn't let the trauma sort of be the thing that sort of leads his life. You know what I mean? It's based mm -hmm. on a true story from my, my homeboy, Matt Carter, from Southeast DC. Shout out you know to Matt. I mean? Shout out to Matt. Uh, shout out to, to the city. Shout out to Oxon Hill, where I'm from. I'm very proud of that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. uh, working class. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. wanted to sort of show what that looked like and what that was like um, without it being some sob story. It's, it's cool. It's fun. It's, it's all the things, you know? Yeah. Uh, long Way Down. That's my favorite. Long Way Down, story also based on true events, true emotions, as about a young man who, whose brother is murdered, and he is forced to grapple with the, the codes of the community, right? Mm -hmm. You have these, I mean, a lot of us who grew up in certain environments, you have these, these codes you follow, right? No snitching, no crying, and you always sort of seek revenge. You know, it's eye for an eye. And I wanted to conceptualize the whole thing by putting him on an elevator as he's going down to the lobby to go and find who killed his brother. And this is one minute. The whole book takes place in one minute of his life as he's visited uh, each floor. Uh, on each floor, he's visited by a new person who comes onto that elevator who he knows. The only, uh, you know, the trick bag is everyone on that elevator is already dead. Mm -hmm. And um, 
you know, it's just a story about what it means to be haunted. But and, and, and but but really, and when I say haunting, I mean like, what is it? Because we're all haunted, right? Haunted by our mothers, haunted by, right? There's always something whispering in your ear, right? Whenever, I mean, even if, you know, your religious beliefs, right? you lead a church, you hear that. You hear that spirit in your ear all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And so to, to try to figure out a way to talk about consciousness is a way to talk about haunting. And to figure out a way to talk about gun violence, um, not as gun violence, but as children who are afraid. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's what I love most. Two things I love most. Number one, your, your writing. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll talk about this, but ever since college, you know I've been, I'm yeah, a yeah. Jason Reynolds groupie. I told you <laughs> since college, just let me, I, all I want to do in life is be a total Drive the bus. That's you it. You know, you bus. already know. know. You, you still haven't granted me my request. <laughs> you won't let me fulfill my calling. Uh, one day. But uh, the, just the writing, because Long Way Down was written differently than your other books, right? Yeah, yeah. It was written in verse. It yeah. was written in verse. But it was written in verse for a very specific reason. I mean, you know, you can, if you write a novel in verse, then you're able to sort of mimic what the, the human mind is doing, especially in this story, right? If trauma mm-hmm. is, what's, what's, is what we're dealing with, then verse makes more sense because the human brain does not actually function in complete sentences. Yeah. And so I was able to really kind of tighten and, and, and intensify the story and put you on that elevator because there's so few words in the book. Mm-hmm. It was genius, bro. It was genius. The, the second reason I love the book is exactly what you said. It humanizes mm. people, kids that are so often demonized or at best just treated as an issue. So when we talk about gun violence in Chicago, you know, we talk about, you know, violence in in, you know, Brooklyn or or wherever it is, we we don't tend to hear stories of these kids through the lens of just their humanity. Right. And I thought you just did that in just a brilliant, compelling, beautiful, moving way. I um, uh, all right, look look both ways. I can't do all the books, but let's just go. I know, yeah. Ways. Look, both ways. look both ways is a collection of short stories that you can pluck out one by one, or you can read straight through like a novel, connected, interconnected short stories. And really, the whole premise is there's school, there's home, and then there's like a liminal space, right? Mm-hmm. There's a space between school and home, especially if you're a young kid and you. You're a walker, you walk home from school, and it's that 15 minute walk where you get to actually exercise a certain level of autonomy because there's no adults around. And so I really would, you know, I'm always interested in figuring out ways to show young people as their true selves, show them as, as their whole selves, big and curious and imaginative and funny and sad um, and all over the place. And, and look both ways was almost like a, a sample set, it was like a study in, in young life in that 15 minute uh, period. So it's 10 different stories, 10, it's probably 40 different characters. Everybody's going separate ways and uh, living and, and it's completely separate worlds, but all those worlds are actually connected because I think that that's also life in and of itself, right? If we talk to each other long enough, we'll realize that we are all connected in some way, shape or form. The issue is we don't talk to each other, mm-hmm. right? Not yeah. long enough. We won't put in that energy to talk to each other long enough to realize that I ain't gotta hate you because your cousin is my best friend. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, man. Well, I mean, folks can go on your website. Uh, they can check out all your other books. You about to drop Stump Boy, which I already Stump pre-ordered, Boy. and I'm excited. Uh, Ain't burning all the bright coming out in January with Jason Griffin. With Jason Griffin, yeah, man. Shout out to Jason Griffin, and I, I'm sure we'll talk about him as we talk about your story. Man, you wrote uh, Miles Morales, which is a Spider-Man uh, yeah, book. Yeah. I mean, you've done all all kind of stuff, and you also co-authored a book called Stamped. 
which is, uh, as you call it, a remix of Ibram X. Kendi's stamp from the beginning. And that was huge. Uh, Ibram mm. X. Kendi, man, is, uh, well, I'll be honest, he's a lightning rod in our culture because of some of the things that he writes about and talks about. And so you get asked to almost rewrite this book in a way that uh, will engage children. And uh, first, let me ask you, do you read your reviews? No. You don't? Okay. So Good then or you, bad. Good you, or so, bad, no. So you may not be aware then that you got some pushback. Oh, no, I'm aware. You, <laughs> I'm just saying. I just you, you got a little bit of pushback, you know what I'm saying, on, on, on Stamped and other books. And, uh, and so I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of all the, the critiques and the criticisms, but there is one that I wanted to ask you about. One of the uh, common critiques that I saw uh, about particularly your book, Stamped, was that people said it was anti-white and that you were anti-white, which I know you personally. In fact, you, Jason Griffin, who you're about to come out with another book, who was one of your best friends friends, and y'all really started y'all careers together is is a white dude. But do you think all white people are racist? You know, I think that the question in and of itself is a a minefield. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and I think that that question is reductive. There's a reason why, right? I think that over time, what we've been able, what we've what we've learned to do because of punditry and news media and social media and all these things is figure out what exactly is uh, the most divisive way to use language. Mm-hmm. So it, you're, I'm going to answer your question, but I want to reframe it a bit because I think that if I answer your question flat out, I think it's ineffective. Um, and and I also think that it's it's no longer useful and and and, and it's a, and it can be a bit it can feel a bit dismissive. Here's mm-hmm. here's the way I think we should frame it. If you know, I am I am a male, mm-hmm. right? I I am a man in America. I am a, a, a cisgendered heterosexual male, right? Mm-hmm. By the way, and none of those things even matter in this particular context because I am a man. I, I my body is that of a man, mm-hmm. which means that. Uh, if we and we all know, I mean, we have these arguments all the time around gender and around sex and around who uh, is paid more, who mm. is treated differently, right? I know mm. for a fact that when I walk in a room, I command a different kind of respect. I know for a fact that when I open my mouth, I command a different kind of respect, mm. right? I know for a fact that my body in the room can be can can be a force, can change the temperature of a room mm. simply because I'm a man, right? And so if I'm a man and I know that we live in a country that is that for centuries. Mm-hmm treated women as second-class citizens uh, and is patriarchal in its nature, which we all know this to be true, mm-hmm. right? We still waiting on a woman president, by the way. Mm-hmm. We all know this to be true. Yeah. Then I think it would be dangerous for me to assume that I don't have any misogyny in me, mm-hmm. right? If every single moment in my life I have been able to make decisions and those decisions, even when they are harmful decisions, I've been able, I, they, they've been pacified. Mm-hmm. Right, they've been squelched. I can harm somebody, and they'll be like, "Oh, you know, boys will be boys." Mm. Yeah, you know, oh, you know, he's a man. Let him run. Yeah, you know what I mean, right? So, like, yeah. so I, it'd, be, yeah. it'd be it'd be weird for me. It, it would be immature and irresponsible for me to be like, "Yo, there's no misogyny in me." Mm-hmm. And if I and if I did believe that, then what I would really be doing ostensibly is I'd be becoming more harmful mm-hmm. because I because I'd widen the blind the blind spot. Mm-hmm. Now, what we could do on the flip side is we could say. Look, I try to be a good person. A good person. I see myself as a, a pretty solid guy. I think mm. I try. I try to be a pretty good person. 
But I got to be aware that some of that's in me because if not, I might say something really painful. I might do something really painful. And it's not my fault that it's in there. Mm-hmm. It was bred in there by, simply by the structures of the country historically. And, re- and reinforced. And, and reinforced over yeah. and over and over. It doesn't make me a bad person. Yeah. It does make, but but it does mean that I have to hold myself accountable mm-hmm. in order to create safety for the people around me, right? Yeah. Now, if we take that idea and we think about it in, in, in regards to race, it's just saying that, like, white folks, it is impossible to 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 ignore a deep seated, embedded bias that has been reinforced. I tell you, Mike. I tell you a quick story, man. It, it leads to this very thing, right? So, like, here's what happens, right? Me and me and Brendan Kylie, another white man who I love dearly, another one of my very best friends. We wrote All American Boys together, hmm. and we're traveling around the country, right? And this question comes up. Right? It's, it's a thing that, and also, to be honest, Mike, I also feel like people are just looking for ways to absolve themselves because it feels bad. Yeah, and it does feel bad. It feels bad for me to say that I might be a misogynist hmm. or I might have misogyny in me. It feels yeah. bad. Doesn't make it any less true, right? And so I'm traveling around. I'm in Denver, Colorado with Brendan. And a lovely woman stands up in the back of the room and she says, I dealt with my bias years ago. I don't have any prejudice. Mm. Dealt with it years ago. I don't have any racism. I don't have any prejudice. None of that's in me. But, you know, I'm appalled, right? Mm-hmm. But I'm also down for the challenge. And so I say, um, I said, let me ask you something. If, if that's true, okay. But let me just ask you something. And we'll, do, we'll, we'll have an experiment. You don't have to answer this question out loud because I would never want to embarrass anybody publicly. It's not my, it's not my jam. Mm. Um, but I do want you to think really hard about the answer to this question. Keep it to yourself. And me and Brendan, I said, Brendan, come up here with me. We stood side by side. I said, the name of our book is All American Boys. Which one of us is the All American Boy? Mm. Wow. Now, her face turned red. She nodded her head and she had a seat. I'm not trying to, to trash you. I'm saying that like it's dangerous to think that we don't have any biases. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. When you knew, like she knew, I can't be the all-American boy when really I am. Really, I'm more American than most. Mm. Right? And so it's, it's these kinds of things that we just kind of get got to get comfortable with. White folk, I encourage all of you to just get comfortable with it. It is not a, it is not a, it is not a, a judgment against mm-hmm. who you are. Mm-hmm. If anything, uh, it's... it's um, it should be motivation for who you'll be. Mm, yeah, that's how I feel. And I think that's huge, man. I think a lot of, uh, especially as a pastor uh, and in relationship, man, just like you, with a lot of white folk that I love, um, I understand that in our cultural moment, what people call this like racial reckoning moment, yeah, it can feel like yo, white people are just out here just being bad. Like we think all white people are just absolutely bad and irredeemable and to be black is to be holy and sacred and pure and right no. and uh it's that's that's too simplistic and uh and dismissive uh of of the conversation and i'll be honest man i've never read any book by ibram x kendi i read stamped um because it's you uh yeah. and uh and i don't know him you know personally but i i do know you and uh, I, I mean, I just thank you for leaning in and, and, and using your gifts, man, to try to shed light and try to uh, spark conversation and try to humanize uh, yeah. the conversation, not just in stamp, but uh, I would say especially, man, in, in your works of fiction, uh, which are, it's like fiction pointing to reality. 
you sure. know what I mean? Is is uh, so much of your work. I mean, you know, you know, Mike, I could have written all of that in a book, and nobody would have had no. It wouldn't have been as many in a novel, and it wouldn't have been as much pushback. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, the beauty of fiction is that it it creates framework for us to have tough conversations without mm -hmm. us having to have them about the actual people in which they affect. Right? Mm -hmm. It's like these are characters, but these characters are representative of, of real people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Hey friends, just interrupting this conversation real quick to share about it. One of our incredible partners, ZocDoc. So with the launch of What Sounds Fun to You last week, we've been asking y'all to rate and review the book. And you know why? Because ratings matter. People listen to reviews. They trust other customers more than advertisers and marketers. We do it with driver ratings, with movie reviews, restaurant ratings, and with ZocDoc. We can also find help from other patients' reviews of doctors. It's so helpful in finding a trusted local doctor. Just download the free ZocDoc app and the easiest way to find a great doctor and instantly book an appointment. With ZocDoc, you can search for local doctors who take your insurance, read verified patient reviews, and book an appointment in person or as a video chat. Never wait on hold with a receptionist again. And whether you need a primary care physician, a dentist, a dermatologist, a psychiatrist, eye doctor, or any other specialist, ZocDoc has got you covered. Go to ZocDoc.com slash that sounds fun and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free. Every month, millions of people use ZocDoc, including this girl. It's my go-to whenever I need to see a doctor. Y'all, I can't get over how much easier ZocDoc makes it finding a doctor. How have we not been using this sooner? ZocDoc makes healthcare easy, and now is the time to prioritize your health. So go to ZocDoc.com slash that sounds fun and download the ZocDoc app to sign up for free and book a top-rated doctor. Many are available as soon as today. So that's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot -O com slash that sounds fun. And now back to the conversation between Mike and Jason. Well, all right. So let me talk. I want to talk just for a second about uh, just some of your accolades, some of the stuff that's random. OK, because people may not know this stuff, but I, I know this stuff. Your home was featured in HGTV magazine. Mm -hmm. For sure. For sure, man. Okay, I for, mean, you say that like like that's normal. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, well, I mean, it's normal for me. <laughs> it, is, I mean? it is normal for you. And <laughs> you I, I mean? I've been to your spot before, and you got a different couch now, but when I came into oh, your no, spot- Oh, no, this upstairs. You ain't seen upstairs. This upstairs. Oh, this, this upstairs. Okay. Upstairs. Yeah, yeah. Now, when I came, you had a pink couch, which- I still got a pink couch. That's you, downstairs. You still- I, Okay, well, there we go. There's nothing <laughs> There's nothing normal about you. Uh, but So that was crazy that you That was got, crazy. You know what, yeah. though, man? I think um, I think that that sort of lends itself to the other part of my life. I, th I think mm -hmm. I'm a whole person, brother. I, I, I contain multitudes. All of us do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I think we get caught up in certain conversations and forget, like, yo, I'm a whole living human with a mm -hmm. bunch of other things going on and interests. I'll be laugh. I want to laugh. I want to relax. I want to decorate mm -hmm. my house. Yeah. Right? I'm interested in art and design and fashion and everything else, you know? Yeah. Well, so, so you talk about embedded bias because it's not just white people. It's all of us, right? Our ideas about race even affect this conversation. So I know you well. We've known each other for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Those of you who can't see Jason, you can look him up. He is 6'3", dude yeah, with locks, guy. and yeah. you're a big dude, all that. Even for me, dog, I walked into your house, and I'm like, this don't look like a black dude's house. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> hey, you know what, though? That, but you know what, man? I'll tell you this. I wonder... <laughs> That's funny. I'll tell you this. What I really wanted people to say was that it looks like a woman's house. Mm. 
Mm. Because I was raised by a woman and and my mother's home is what reminds me of home. Mm. Femininity is what I prefer, brother. Mm. Like I think uh I didn't want to have you know, I you know, I go to people's houses, you know, especially if you're a single man and you live alone and it's like, dog, I'm too old to have uh posters of Michael Jordan on my room. <laughs> like I'm an adult. So you right? don't have you don't you don't have no black lights. I don't your... got no black lights. <laughs> I don't got none of that. You know what I'm saying? And I think, because I want to make sure that people feel comfortable. And I think people, I, th- I think oftentimes people feel most, we don't ever talk about it this way, but I think people feel most comfortable in the homes of their mamas. Yeah, because you got all kind of colors. The colors. In your house, textures. Textures. chandelier in your bedroom, all kind of stuff. Got art everywhere. Yeah. Got, yeah, it's wallpaper and like, yeah. you know. Why not? Why we can't do that? Like, I think it's like flower wallpaper or something like that. Yeah, it's flowers. It's floral wallpaper, it hand painted floral wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, why we can't do that? Why we can't do that? You go ahead. You you got it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> and HD Listen, I, I'm doing that because you know my wife. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I, I, I'm a, I'm gonna live in that whether I want point, to or not. But this is my point, right? I do know your wife, and yeah. what I'm saying is, is that you live in a space where your wife believes in sort of making a home a comfortable space. Yeah. Right, but it, it, it for whatever reason it's it's your wife's inclination. It's your wife's jam. Mm-hmm. It is. This, by the way, this is not this does not mean all women do this because it's not true. Yeah, right. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is that your children growing up with their mother and mm-hmm. father, but mm-hmm. with knowing that their mother cared this much about a home, there's a good chance that your sons, that's mm-hmm. what they will recognize as comfort, mm, yeah. as as safety. You see what I'm saying? So when it's their yeah. time to build the space, if they got the resource they're going to build a space that's reminiscent of the one that, that they feel most safe in. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. My mother's house was just like this. Yeah. Well, it's beautiful, dog. Like, I mean, I came in, I was just, you, you know, I was walking around, like, touching walls. <laughs> you got to come like, back. So now I got the, I bought the two, the floors above me, the two yeah. floors above me. Yeah. So like, that's where I'm at now. It's a whole, like, it was like a lounge. I, I basically built a lounge in the house. Yeah, man. Yeah, bro. Well, all right. Brain yoga, dog. Like you, Brain yoga. You you create you created a game, yeah yeah, yeah man. that's why. I mean, but you know me, Mike. I know I'm not surprised by this, but I'm just saying, like, for the people that don't know you, like that, and as a black man, you would not expect that your mm-hmm. home as a living by yourself would mm-hmm. be an HGTV HGTV magazine. As a black man, you would not expect that you'd be making a card game, yeah, yeah. for kids. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. Which is but genius, which my, my kids love. And you were doing the IG Live joint in the beginning of of uh, the pandemic. And, yeah. uh, you know, Ava just love, you know, getting pulled up on that. Yeah. Hey, man, look. Hey, look, man. I'm free, brother. Yeah. yeah. Been free. You know that. Been free. I've been free for a long time. I do long what I want to do. Yeah. I do what I want to do. And so for me, it was literally a situation where it made sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like to wait on anybody. You know, I, I started this career independently years and years and years ago, as you know, as a 16 year old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Hustling books out of box. I'll never forget. You might have been the most excited one. I remember you telling me your father was like, this boy got a real book. I'll never forget that conversation. Like, <laughs> as a 16 year old, you know what I'm saying? Like, and and that that hustle is still there, brother. That 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 ingenuity is still there. Like I, I I'm all about like how can we figure out how to use the resources we have to uh, to make somebody's life a little better. Mm-hmm. Um, the game thing, like I ain't making no money on it. it ain't nothing like I ain't making no money on it. it ain't mm-hmm. nothing like that. I'm breaking even. 
barely, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I really just wanted to make sure that people could get it yeah. and that it was accessible and that young people could have something to keep their imagination sparked. If they lose their imaginations, we over. Yeah, yeah. We donezo, right? And so I want to, and by the way, and not to keep harping on a certain thing because I don't, I don't, I want to move forward. But I, I do want my my white brothers and sisters to to know this too, uh, and my black brothers, all of us, my Browns, everybody. The whole thing that we're arguing about, by the way, Mike, everything we're fighting about, the whole thing is rooted in imagination and language. Mm. Yeah, how so? People hate stamp for all these reasons, but if you read the first chapter, right, it talks about how in fourteen hundred there was a Portuguese brother. He was a scribe. The Portuguese were running through North Africa and they were expanding territory, which means that they were killing people, taking gold, enslaving people, right? Mm. All of Europe was doing this at the time. It was a normal thing because they were expanding their their dynasties, right? Mm. But the Portuguese wanted to separate themselves from the rest of Europe. Um, And so what they did was they had this dude, his his last name was Dezurara. He basically wrote a new narrative because he was there and he wrote a new narrative. And the narrative said that what we are doing is not... um, brutality is benevolence. What we are doing is we are enslaving these people to civilize them. Yeah. Right? That narrative became the narrative of all of Europe eventually. And then that whole narrative became the narrative that would eventually justify American chattel slavery. Mm -hmm. Right? And the point of that story isn't isn't just about, you know, the lie of it all. It's, It's that all of this, everything we fighting about now, white folks mad at me for all these reasons and yada, 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 all of this starts 600 years ago from the figment of someone's imagination and the understanding of the power of language, Mm -hmm. which means that if we can convince young people, right, to to keep their imagination sharp and and give them new language, then we can bend it back. Mm. Very simple. Mm -hmm. Very simple. So for me, that's what brain yoga is meant to do, man. Make sure that they can, if they can't imagine, if they can't can't create, uh, then then we short for real. Yeah. I love it. I, I would encourage parents pick up brain yoga. It's so it's just such a fun uh, game. It's fun for me. I love that joint because it just forces me to just be imaginative. And, yeah. and I mean, I made it for kids. me. It was, it's a game that I used to play myself. And yeah. it's a game that I use for my grad students. Like it was mm-hmm. for adults. And then I was mm-hmm. like, we do it. You're never yeah. too old to imagine. Yeah, man. All right. So you've gotten so many awards, dog. A Newberry Award, a Prince yeah. Award, Nas- two time uh, National Book Award finalist, New York Times bestsellers. I, I can go on and on and on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you're serving your third term as the Library of Congress National Ambassador for Young People's Literature, mm-hmm. which gives you the opportunity to travel all over the country to different schools and, and uh, do assemblies with kids and spend time with kids. You've been interviewed by Trevor Noah, Hoda mm-hmm. Kotb, Gail King, and now me. So <laughs> I'm sure you're just waiting to, to update your bio. You know what I'm saying? Oh, I can't wait, man. The great, the great. <laughs> So, so listen, man, you've you've reached a level of success and fame that so many people aspire to, whether as a writer or in their particular field. What have you learned about success? That is embarrassing. Okay. That's not where I thought you were going to go. Like, what do you mean? How is success embarrassing? Mm, Because uh, let me, let me, let me qualify this by saying it's embarrassing for me, Mm. for me, right? It's different for everybody, right? I think, uh. For me, it's it's hard because what happens when you become successful is that is people exceptionalize you, mm. and I'd rather not be exceptionalized. I think uh, I'm no different than I was when I was 16. I'm no different than than the kids who hang outside my house every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm no different than my 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 daddy, God bless his soul, who who 
you know, never got to do all of this. Or my mother who worked for 40 years for $40,000. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm not, or my older brother who's been a janitor for 20 years, mm. mm-hmm. right? I'm not exceptional, bro. I, I had opportunities. Um, I took those opportunities. I had a skill that I worked very hard for. But there's tons of people who work harder than I do, who who can do all the things better than I can, and they may not get their shot. So I work very hard to just justify why God gave it to me. But I ain't, you know, success in and of itself is just a bit. Um, it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a. It's a bit exposing in funny ways, man. Mm. I don't want to walk around and everybody look at people. People all the time be like, oh, I saw Jason. And they're like, did you say something to him? No, I was too nervous. Mm-hmm. For what? Yeah. Come holler at me. Say what's up. I don't like that, bro. I don't like being plucked out. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I know it's a thing. I know I, I know. there's all kinds of scripture about that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. God will pluck you out, right? But for me, brother, I want to remain in the fold, man. Yeah. Me yeah. personally. I want to remain in the fold. I want to make the fold stronger. Yeah. In it. In it. You yeah. know what I mean? So- that's where I'm at with it, man. Yeah, man. Well, it's also amazing, though. I don't want to short it. I, mean, I was about I to say. I mean, there's parts of it that's nice. No, no, no. Look, man. My mother will never have to worry no more. Yes, sir. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and that's the that's the biggest part of it. My family will always be straight. Yeah. My loved ones, my beloveds, will always be good. Aaron Holmes will always be good. Shout out to Aaron Holmes, man. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Will always be good. These so like you know my 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 folks are solid, and that's because of these books, and I'm grateful for that. I've seen the world. Mm-hmm. Ten times over, mm-hmm. because of the stories that I wrote about my own neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, right. Man. Like that's an it's amazing. Crazy. What it's a amazing. gift! And just maybe, just maybe, twenty years down the line, people will say, "Man, the kid, he he shifted the literary landscape for children." Mm-hmm. I take that too. Well, let's let's talk about that, man. Because, uh, and I've told you this before, and you know, we we talk about real stuff. All the time, yeah. we debate about stuff. We've yeah. over twenty years. We've had so many conversations about faith and religion and Christianity Absolutely. and where all our differences things. and all that. But I remember last time we hung out, we had dinner, and I remember saying this to you: just this, uh, what we kind of in pastor world, uh, what we call the doctrine of common grace. This idea that God has given His grace to all humanity. Uh, to be able to create. We've all been made in the image of God, and we've been given these capacities to to be conduits of God's goodness and blessing in the world. And we we live that out in so many different ways. And dog, you're doing that with your writing. Um, mm. and, uh, and you specifically chose to write for children. And mm. I'm curious, man, like why? Why? Because some people, man, honestly, I, I would imagine some people who aspire to be authors or writers, if you get a, I mean, if you get a publishing deal, period, I'm sure you're pretty hype about it. But mm. did it ever feel like writing for kids was JV to you? <laughs> I think uh, for like two seconds, for me and Jason, you know, me and Jason, they, 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 when we made that first book when we were 21, mm-hmm. they, they classified it as young adult, mm. as a children's book. We didn't know at the time even that that was a thing. Mm. We were just doing our thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And they were like, this is for kids. And it felt like a slight at the mm. time. Mm-hmm. I look back now and I realize the reason it seemed like it was for kids is because we were kids, hmm. right? Hmm. Like, it sounds like 19, 20, 21-year-olds, yeah. right? Which is young adults, you know what I mean? Because y'all packed up, left, yeah, we left packed up the left, DC area yeah. and just went to New York City and toughed it out. Yeah, and toughed yeah. it out. And, and and But we were kids. Now that I'm much older, right? You look back and you're like, oh yeah, we just cutting our teeth, you yeah. know? Yeah. Um, 
But now, I mean, but that only that was it. Once we figured out what it was, it was like, oh, this is it. I love this because mm-hmm. I think the real question uh, isn't um, why write for kids. The real question is who else is there to write for? Hmm. Like mm-hmm. who else is there, Mike? Like at the end of the day, uh, I ain't really worried about us. I'm worried about the youngins. They got mm-hmm. the opportunity and the, and the potential to actually change something, to actually grow up without all of the without all of the baggage that so many of us have. And every generation hopefully has a little less. That's the mm-hmm. goal, at least. Mm-hmm. And I think these youngers are on the right path. But my job is to make sure that they understand, like, it's to light the way a little bit. Yeah. And that and that doesn't mean that I'm trying to teach them anything, because I'm not. That's not my job. I just want to bear witness to their lives. Brother, there's true power in someone witnessing your life. Mm. Someone acknowledging that who you are is all right. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's really it. And to all the cats who be like, is it JV? You know, first of all, the people who 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 trash children's literature don't recognize that what they're really doing is trashing children. It's not that you don't like the literature; it's that you don't think young people are sophisticated, mm-hmm. right? You're disrespectful to, to to our children, to our kids, and you don't know it because you're so caught in your ego that you can't even see it, right? Talk about yeah. blind spots. Yeah, right? yeah. ageism yeah. is another one. Yeah, yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and and also when it comes to the skill, my G, I tell everybody. This is the hardest audience on earth. I promise you, dog. I can say this that from, from a pastor standpoint. Give me some yeah. adults. Yeah. Give me an auditorium of 100,000 adults any day. But to try to communicate to kids requires kids. another level of sophistication and clarity. It's different. It's different, dog. It's a different skill set. Like my man used to always say, hey, you write for adults or you speak to adults or whatever it is. That's like you painting a Mona Lisa mm. with a full palette, right? You got all the colors, you got everything there, right? Mm. But, mm. but to do it with kids is you painting the Mona Lisa with half the palette, and it wow. still has to look like the Mona Lisa. Wow. Which which one of us has more skill? Yeah, 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 man. So that's where I'm at with it. Well, and I think about, man, Jesus' is teaching. Uh, these kids were trying to come up to him while he was in the crowds, and some of his disciples started shooing them away. And Jesus rebuked the disciples and said, don't send them away. And then he said this, he said, because the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And he used them as a paradigm for what a relationship with God is supposed to be like. The humility and wonder and Mm. trust that we have to have in Jesus in order to truly experience that kind of intimacy. And so he, he... in a society and with disciples who were uh, devaluing children, he elevates them as the prototype for how we are to relate to God. And that's how I feel. Yeah, man. Yeah, that's how I feel. Like you know, I ask everybody the same question, man. When I do interviews, when I'm the when I'm the interviewer, you know, and I always ask people, like, you look back on your on your childhood, you mm-hmm. go back to your ten year old self. Usually, what we say is like, what would you tell your ten year old self? What I always say is. You know, what would you thank your 10-year-old self for? Because mm. your 10-year-old self got it right. Mm. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It's an interesting experiment to do, Mike. If you look back, man, like think about who you were. Because a lot of who you were at 10 is who you are. Mm. Like a lot of that kid is what makes you. Mm. It's amazing. It is amazing, man. Well, so you you write broadly for for children, but you you definitely, if you read through your works, it's clear that you're writing from a certain vantage point. 
in a certain culture of way. And let me just say this for a second. I will just I give uh, all the listeners a heads up. So your books do have some mature themes uh, because sure. of the context that you're writing about, because of the stories that you're telling. Sometimes there's some you know colorful language in there. Oh, um, uh, so uh, I'm not trying to get fired, you know what I'm saying, as a pastor. No but uh, but my daughter has read, uh, I, I sent you a picture, you know what I'm saying? I, I didn't even know she was reading it. She took it off the bookshelf and we went on vacation. She's in the back of the van, which I can't believe I'm driving the van. Uh, anyway, <laughs> um, and, uh, and she's reading Ghosts. Um, but first of all, it's just wild because when I was reading your stuff, I was going back and, and, uh, and reading some of your stuff over the last couple of weeks. And I'm like, I, to be honest with you, that's how I used to talk. You know what I'm saying? When I was, yeah. uh, when I was, when I was young, but you're, you're writing in a certain cultural voice and that was an intentional decision. Uh, in fact, there's a great New York times article about that. So I think this, this is recent. It's August 9th of 2021. Uh, it's the article who Jason Reynolds writes his bestsellers for. Oh, the New Yorker. The yeah, New Yorker oh, it was the New Yorker. It was the New Yorker. Yeah. yeah. So when when you write, who are you writing for? I'm writing for. Here's the way I look at it. I'm writing for uh, all the children, everybody. Mm. I'm writing to black children. Hmm. Right. They're two different things. Right. Yeah. And, and let me let me clarify what that means. I, I recognize, like, look, I love kids. Kids is the one thing that we have to like. The the one thing that we all agree upon, right, is that we want our kids to have a fair shot. No matter what your race, color, creed, religion, like we all like. Hey, I just want my babies to have a shot, a fair shot at life. You know what I mean? And so, I'm trying to make books that are universal in nature. But the way that we create universality is to also be um, is to drill down on specificity. Mm. I think the mistake that happens is people think to be universal, one has to be um, intentionally broad. Mm. When the truth is, is that like, tell me your personal story. Yeah. And then trust that I'll find myself in it. Mm. Right? And so I, I write to the black the black experience. I write to the black child. Um, mm. But I write for all of, all these babies. And you know what, Mike? I'm going to tell you something. This is why I get so so frustrated. And I'm glad we're talking about this. And I'm... I'm I get so because because you were, earlier you were talking about the pushback and all that stuff. Yeah. I, why I get frustrated is because the pushback don't come from kids, mm. ever, mm. ever. Mm. The pushback comes from adults. Pushback don't come from kids. I've been I've been in all them schools. I've been in. I talked to all American boys alone. We spoke to a million kids in wow. the country. Wow, a million. Yeah, never had no problems, Mike. Mm. Never had no problems. It was a kid who came to me in New York. I was doing a, a, an event when. Sonny or Lou, one of the track books came out. Mm -hmm. Young kid, adorable. I think he was like nine. He raises his hand. He has a question. I said, oh, yeah, what's up, man? And he says, how come uh, you don't write white white kids in your books? Mm. And he's a white kid. Wow. Right? Now the adults immediately start squirming and, you know what I mean? Everybody's nervous. Mm -hmm. And he really is asking earnestly. He's not asking Mm -hmm. to poke. He's literally like, I noticed and I'm asking Mm -hmm. because I'm curious. And my response, because I always respect the child enough to be honest, right? And to figure out ways to do that, that, is, that that's not harmful. Mm-hmm. So I said to the child, you know, um, where I grew up, in my neighborhood, there were no white people. Mm-hmm. Like, there were no white kids where, where I grew up. Like, mm-hmm. that was a real thing. Yeah. Um, but, but then I said, but I also want to make sure, like, does, this, does, it, does it bother you at all? Mm-hmm. And, and all the adults start leaning in, right? And his response was, why would it bother me? And then we moved on. Wow. Didn't even bother him. Mm. Every adult in the room is clutching pearls. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And this kid is like, oh, no, it was an observation because I read the book so closely and I read all of them and I realized that's interesting. And then he's like, but it doesn't bother me. I love these books. Mm-hmm. The end. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Yeah. When you talk about lifting the kids up, Mike, and using yeah. the kids as the paradigm, as the archetype. Mm-hmm. Like, come on, son. We yeah. fighting. Meanwhile, the babies is like, yo, we don't understand what the big deal is. Mm-hmm. We ready to have the hard conversations. We ready to lean into some of the discomfort. We mm-hmm. ready to build our vocabulary and lexicon. We ready to create a more equitable and just world. We trying to save the planet. We wanted to think about who they are. Yeah. They're the most empathetic generation of all time. Mm-hmm. And we're like, oh, yeah, man, it's too many problems, man. They're trying to indoctrinate you. I'm not trying to indoctrinate nobody more than they've already been indoctrinated. If anything, Mm. I'm just trying to assess exactly what the most healthy doctrine is. Mm. Yeah. Well, so so in that that situation, well, I guess broadly speaking, man, have you experienced any challenges being a black man in the literary industry? Or or let let me back up. What is it like for you when you walk into a school, right? You walk yeah. into a school, this accomplished author, yeah. and like I mentioned, you a big black dude. You know what I'm saying? Like very black. We're all black clothes. <laughs> yeah, we're all black clothes, which I'm gonna be wearing in in, in 2023. <laughs> Dog, what's that like for you? What's that experience been like for you? It's changed over the years, Mike. Mm. I walk in any school in I walk in any school library or bookstore in America, and it's pandemonium. Yeah, because they know you now. They know me, yeah. you know what I mean? And it's hard to miss me, mm-hmm. right? You know it's me, yeah. you know? But years ago, Mike, come on, man. I show up to the school and I am who I am. You know this about me. I yeah. don't, you know, yeah. it is what it is. It is what it is. <laughs> it is, what it is. I used to show up to the school, man, T-shirt, sneakers on, cooling, doing my thing. And uh, they give me a hard time. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm here to give a lecture. I'm here to talk. I'm, I'm Jason Reynolds. And they would be uh, flabbergasted because they always feel like I was I look unprofessional, quote unquote. Or I, mm. you know, and I talk to the kids just like I'm talking to you. You know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, but over time, and I used to all to the point that I used to tell principals, I used to say, "Listen, what I'm getting ready to do is going to be completely against everything you want, mm. right? But all I can ask you to do is trust me. And when this is over, I want you to go to your school library." and watch what happens, just watch what happens. Mm. And time and time again, I'd get up, it'd be 5,000 kids in the crowd, I'd do my thing for 45 minutes an hour, and they'd dismiss it, mm. and i get an email saying, we don't have any Jason Reynolds books left. Wow. Yeah. Right? Because I understood, I learned something very very early on about how to tap in and what it actually was. One, the way you look matters to a child. Mm. They know what teachers look like. They yeah. don't want to talk to another teacher. Mm. Right, they want to talk to the cool uncle. Hmm. Right, like everybody else in our, like all of our families. Right, it's like I can hear it from my daddy, but if my uncle say it, I can really hear it. Yeah, does you it, know what I'm saying? Has it has it mattered to any children when they? I mean, now everybody knows who you are, but yeah. when they see you and you're a black man who wrote the book that they oh, yeah. they've been reading, does that? That was the biggest thing hmm. back in the day, Mike. That was the biggest thing, like. There was an article, my first cover story was for Kirkus Magazine. I was on the cover of Kirkus Magazine. Mm-hmm. And there's a quote on the cover that says, basically, how like the kids would always be like, that's what he looked like, mm-hmm. right? It's, it's, like, it's like, oh, that's Jason Reynolds. Him right there? That's mm-hmm. Jason Reynolds. That's what he looks like, right? Mm-hmm. And the black kids especially would be like, yo, like he looks like me. Tattoos and, mm-hmm. and the whole nine, right? Mm-hmm. He looks like me or he looks like my older brother or he looks like my father. Mm-hmm. Right, because kids said, I mean, we're at that age where like we're the fathers, right? It's like, <laughs> right? like yeah. it's like, yo, he looks like my dad. He looks like, and I think um, 
for a lot of young black kids, man, you walk in that room or you walk on stage and they sit up a little straighter because hmm. they, they know you. They feel like they they feel like they can see themselves. Yeah, know? yeah, man, yeah. Well, just a couple more questions, man, because I know people will want to know this. Uh, yeah. First of all, thank you, dog, for 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 taking the time and and sharing thank so personally and, and transparently. When you write, do <clears throat> you? Stephen Pressfield uh, talks about what he calls the resistance, uh, where when you when you sit down to write or do anything meaningful. There's all these thoughts and insecurities and doubts or whatever. Like, mm. do you face the resistance? Like, do you are are there inner challenges that you experience when you sit down to write at this point after writing so many books, mm. a, achieving so much success? Do you still oh, yeah, face yeah. those challenges? For sure, for yeah. sure, man. Writing is the only other other than praying. Mm. Writing is probably the only thing you could do where you're forced to reckon with all of yourselves, mm. right? In order for me to make it happen, I have to be alone with me. Mm. And so all the things that I normally would be able to avoid due to the noise of the day, mm. I can't. And I got to hear my insecure voice, my arrogant voice, my traumatized voice, mm. my goofy voice, my lazy voice. Right, my my terrified voice, the voice that feels inadequate, the voice from college that still was struggling to, to pass and to get out, the voice that's dealing with his father's death, the voice that's dealing with relationships. All of that stuff is right, it, it, they all come rushing to the forefront. Mm-hmm. And I gotta sit there and try to figure out which ones need to be pushed back and which ones need to be pulled forward. They're all there to help me. Mm-hmm. That's the thing, I don't see it as resistance. Mm-hmm. They're all there to help me figure out how to tap into a human thing. I just got to figure out which of these is the right combination in in, in any particular moment. Mm. Um, and that's hard. Do you ever fe- hear the success of your last book <laughs> in your ear as you're sitting down to write the next one? Yeah, because I'm human. Mm. And I'm competitive, brother. Yeah. You know, I'm human. Um, man, you've been over here. All them awards and all that you named, you seen any on the wall? Mm. Mm-hmm. Zero. Yeah. Zero. They all, but they all up under the couch. You know why? Because how can I continue to work if I sit in the shrine of myself? Mm. So that's how I combat that. I work to combat that. That's why I don't read no reviews. That's why I don't go out. I barely be outside, bro. I be in the house chilling. I don't want to. I don't want. I don't want none of that to cloud me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I know, you know, you're never as good as they say you are, mm-hmm. and you're never as bad as they say you are. Yeah. Well. You you're pretty good, dog. <laughs> you you you're pretty good, man. And I, I appreciate you taking this time, man. One last question before we end, because the podcast is called That Sounds Fun. So what is fun for you? What do you do for fun? Oh man. Uh you know, a lots of things. Things that I Inappropriate for this podcast. Yeah, I'm like, you, you gotta keep, you gotta just keep it clean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Mike, you know me, I'm like, Mike, you know me, I'm like, why would you? I'm like, come on, Mike, this is, you, you try to put me in a I, trick I bag. I want Andy like, to invite me back on the podcast, dog. So. <laughs> I got you. Now, look, I for real, you know, all jokes aside, I love to travel. I love to eat. Um, I'm always at every restaurant in the city, and you know, trying to figure that out. And I love being, I love my mother. Hanging out with my mom is better than hanging out with anybody. The Shout funnest mom, person man. in the world. Shout out yeah. to moms, man. I love you. I'll be over there tomorrow. 
You know, what I, mean? I love my mom. I, I got a very small group of friends that I that I stick tight with, mm-hmm. uh, who know me well enough to let me be a mess, mm. and uh, that's always a good time. Um, I don't know, man. I'm a super simple dude, bro. Like yeah. I like watching TV. You know what I mean? Like I do it. Everybody. This is why I be mad. People don't want to speak to me because I do what everybody do. Like I don't mm-hmm. have nothing, ain't nothing fancy about my everyday about my like regular everyday hobbies. It's like I like to except salmon collar. Well, I like to eat fancy food, but I like to eat is the point. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Listen, man, uh, those of you who are listening, you got to check out Jason Reynolds. Uh, so much more that we could have got into. Yeah. Uh, he, he came up as a spoken word artist and as a poet. And yeah. uh, if you want a quick uh, just snapshot of his brilliance, uh, just Google uh, or, or YouTube this graduation ceremony speech that he did which is just so brilliant and moving and uh, just beautiful. Uh, Man, Jason, it's been so good, man, to be able to sit across the microphone from you. And uh, I love you, man. I'm proud of you and uh, excited for what's coming next, bro. My brother, I love you too, man. It's good to see you. Talk soon. Yes, sir. Oh, friends, aren't they the best? That was that was so cool to hear like their history and their friendship. And I learned a ton listening to them today. Hey, be sure to pick up some of Jason's incredible books like Long Way Down, Look Both Ways, and Ghost. They're some of his more recent works. And we'll link to his site in the show notes because he is a prolific writer. And there's so much more to check out. And follow Jason so you can tell him thanks for being on the show. If you haven't gotten your tickets to the That Sounds Fun live stream on November 2nd, you can grab those at CompassionLive.com. It's going to be such a fun night. And let's be real, there's no limit to how many of us can get together for a virtual event and a virtual room filled with friends. Sounds very fun to me. And a bunch of you have asked, yes, it will be available to stream until November 7th. If you're not able to attend at the exact time that it's live on November 2nd, you'll still be able to put your ticket to good use. So if you need anything else from me, you know I'm embarrassingly easy to find. Annie F. Downs on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places you may need me. That's how you can find me. And I think that's it for me today, friends. Go out or stay home and do something that sounds fun to you, and I will do the same. Today, what sounds fun to me is dinner. I'm hungry, so dinner sounds fun to me today. I think I'd like burger up. We will see. Have a great couple of days, friends. And remember, Mike is with us all week hosting these incredible shows. We'll be back here on Wednesday where he has another illuminating and helpful conversation. We'll see y'all then. Yeah, yeah.